We all want a business like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Businesses where once a customer engages with them, it becomes automatic and a part of their lifestyle from then on. But how do you build that forever transaction? I'm Robbie Kelman Baxter, and I have been studying subscription and membership models for nearly 20 years. In this podcast, my guests and I share the secrets and strategies of the membership economy. Join us for subscription stories, true tales from the trenches. I have interviewed today's guest many times, and it's always a wild ride. Mighty Networks founder and CEO Gina Bianchini is so smart, passionate, and insightful. It's honestly just plain fun for me. Gina was my final guest for season one of the Subscription Stories podcast back in 2020. At that time, we were all stuck at home, afraid to go out in person, and we were looking for ways to connect authentically with others. Mighty Networks was established to make it easy for people to build engaged communities around their passion and purpose. Nearly three years later, people are back to connecting in person, but Mighty Networks continues to grow. Why? Well, Gina would say it's because people crave meaning and connection through community. And I have to agree. I invited Gina back to the show to talk about her new Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Purpose, Design a Community and Change Your Life. In our wide-ranging conversation, we also discuss how to implement best practices in launching, scaling, and hosting a vibrant online community and how someone can actually discover their purpose, even if they're feeling stuck. Welcome to the show, Gina. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to see you. So congratulations on your new book, Purpose. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It is. And I have so appreciated your support, especially I think in the very, very early days. And you know this from writing a book. When you literally have had your friends read it, or maybe like a family member and people sort of concentric circles outside start to read it and they're like, oh, it's good. It's like, really? Oh, that's great. I love hearing that. Thank you. So you were that person to me and I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad. And it's funny that you bring that up because when I wrote my first book, the one thing that I was most worried about was that people I respected, my friends and those concentric circles were going to read the book and say, huh, it's not that good. Oh, well. And and we still like her. She's still our friend. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. still like her. She's Good at other things, but I guess this book's (laughs) not one of them. So your book, which I've read, is really good. It's based, I know, on a course that you had developed as part of your work running Mighty Networks. But can you tell us about what caused you to actually go through the effort of writing a book, which is no easy task, and what the purpose of purpose is? Yeah. So in teaching this community design class, so the promise of the course is create a community so valuable that you can charge for it, relevant to your audience. And so basically self-organizing and easy to run that you actually want to run it. And so in doing this work of designing and scaling communities, and I've, I've had a front row seat to, gosh, at this point, over 3 million different communities created. And in this work, what I keep coming back to and keep seeing is just how closely tied community is with purpose. And I define purpose as the clear, positive intention for our time, our talents, our focus, and our energy for our brief time on planet Earth. And especially over the last three years, as people have been asking themselves the question, I'm sure I certainly have asked myself the question, I'm assuming you might have as well, which is, what am I doing? Like, what is this all for? 
And in a moment and a time of really pretty profound and rapid change, having a practice around that clear, positive intention for our time, talents, energy, and focus for our brief time on planet Earth has only become more important. And so as I started to take some of the things that I had figured out worked in the context of community design and started to sort of bring them into a much earlier experience of just an individual being able to build again a practice around their purpose, it worked and worked really, really well for people. And so I decided to turn it into a book so that more people could potentially take advantage of and that I could invite them into these practices and ways of just grounding ourselves in purpose, in impact, in being able to answer that question of what am I doing? Like, what is this all for in a more thoughtful and proactive way? And just given the response to the book and the people sharing their stories of implementing some of these practices, I'm honored and I'm humbled and I'm like so excited to get it out to more and more people because life is truly too short to not have a clear, positive intention for our time, our talents, our energy, and our focus. And if I can do my part in that and helping people find that, then I'm probably doing something right. So is it fair to say this isn't really necessarily a business book so much Mm -hmm. as it's a very personal book? Correct. It's not a business book. It is really about how finding your purpose and making it matter is core to our experience as human beings. And no amount of technology, no amount of innovation, no amount of time spent in front of our devices changes the fact that as human beings, we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to have a clear and positive intention. We want to have purpose. We want to take on challenges, even if we don't think we want to take on challenges. If you just look at how we evolve and how we have the most energy, what we put in our bodies, all of these things, it really is about how do we take on challenges? How do we strive for mastery? How do we do something that we didn't think was possible? And to me, that is, when I really reflect on it, it's like that is a well-lived life. This is so interesting. I'm wondering right now, I'm just thinking about who's listening and I'm like, are we listening to subscription stories? Because this sounds like it's a whole order of You're mag- like, when are no. we talking about LTV? <laughs> when are we talking about LTV people? <laughs> I thought this was a woman who runs the community platform, you know, for people building. So I want to come back to purpose and I want to come back to future story and how people do this and how people find meaning and the whole kind of COVID, what am I doing here anyway question. Before we do that, I want to make that connection between, okay, you are the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks, one of the most successful, fastest growing, totally capturing the zeitgeist community platforms that sells to organizations and businesses of of all sizes to help them build a key part of their business model. How did you rationalize making time for this? Was this like a totally separate compartment of your life or do you see opportunities for dovetailing what you were doing with your work on purpose and values and what you do at every day running your company? Well, we as human beings are made for community. Like we are physically, emotionally, psychologically made for community. So my work in terms of selling software is in service 
to the human experience. And I know that that sounds so lofty, but it's true. And it is especially true for the kind of software that I have obsessively built for the last decade plus. And so when I started just continuing to just move up, you know, that exercise where people are like, well, just keep asking why. And you just like keep asking why and and ask why and then ask why some more. So when I did that, it really comes down to if I lived in a world where people had a much clearer sense of their purpose, they would see the value of community, but more importantly, know how to do it, or at least be motivated to know how to do it. What happens when more people know how to run or host a community or courses or memberships or events? Well, so number one, I think that the world is a better place. It, it just is. It's We can have connection. We can belong to something bigger than ourselves. And if in the process, I'm able to sell more software, fantastic. But software is always going to be in service of a mission and a bigger mission, which is, you know, how am I just as an individual, but also as a leader? And then how is my team? How are we able to integrate and blend people's missions and what they want to accomplish in their lives with actually being able to do that easily and effectively? That's how I've chosen to live my life. And it's why I love being an entrepreneur. There's a lot of things that suck about being an entrepreneur of anybody. Like I don't necessarily recommend it to everybody. The main thing is that, Robbie, I can write a book about purpose and it is aligned with my purpose and my company and the category that we are building around cultural software and really this ability for brands and creators and individuals to design and scale really new cultures. So as I think about that, it wasn't necessarily a side project, but I also did it pretty fast and almost so fast that I was like, oh my gosh, am I really doing this? And the answer was yes, I was. And I did. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I said, I think it's a very good book. And I say that even when I'm not interviewing you, I've said it to a lot of people. I think what I take away from what you said, and one of the things I think is important, and I've known you, we've known each other for, for quite a while now is you've always been around bringing people together and helping people achieve their goals, their missions, their purpose. And I feel like a lot of companies and a lot of organizations, when they build, when they say, you know, it's time to launch a community, we should have a community. So whatever, so we can be stickier, so we can make more money, so we can- So that we can have first party data. That's a good one. Yeah. So, right. First party data. We want, we need first party data. Yeah. Which also good. Right, right. No, I mean, these are all- in my opinion, tails wagging the dog, right? Like it's great, but why does your customer want to be a member of your community? Why would somebody spend their time? And I think for a lot of these organizations, there's like this missing link between the two. It's like, you got to go back and say, what is that ongoing goal that I'm helping these people achieve? What is this ongoing problem that I'm helping people solve? I just saw a community for, I think it's called the Bariatric Society. I just thought right before, before we start talking for people who've gone through weight loss surgery, right? And like, of course, they come together and what are they trying to do? They're trying to optimize health. They're trying to maintain the results that they've achieved. Nobody else is going to understand that like somebody else is going through it. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful to see. And I think that's really, when I read the book, I was like, oh, you're really focusing at the beginning and saying, okay, let's take a step back. Let's talk about what our, and I don't want to keep naming the book, what our purpose is. What is it that we're trying to do here? And then it'll be so much easier to build an engaged community because it's, Building an engaged community is really hard. 
Well, I would challenge that. I think building an engaged community is really hard if you do not have a big purpose for the community, a motivation for those members to show up and contribute that is directly tied to their results that they want in their lives, the transformation that they want to have, the people that they want to meet, the things that they want to belong to. So when I really look at like what granularly do you have to have in a community, you have to have a motivation for people to show up and contribute. And then the second piece that you need, especially today, is comfort and confidence in being able to define the culture of your community. Here is what we do here so that somebody doesn't have to guess. And it's one of these things that I really find somewhat shocking is how in any other area of our lives, we understand the power of cultural norms and social norms. But when it comes to online communities, the first thing we want to set up is rules. And the rules have gotten to be so extreme of like, you can show up at this community, but then like, don't murder anybody. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure that like, that's not the biggest problem here. The biggest problem is I don't know anybody. I don't know what the norms are here of this community. Like, for example, do we direct message each other? Is somebody going to respond to me? If I send somebody a message or if I respond to a a question, are people going to think well of me or are they going to think that I'm a dum-dum? Like, what give me the rules of the game or the agreements that we make in this organic system such that I know how to win? I know how to be well-received. I know how to have credibility or for people to like me. And I think one of the most powerful things that makes a community easy to do is, again, a very simple big purpose, which we have a very clear, like it's kind of a clear and obvious formula for it. It's like, who do you bring together? What are you going to do together? And what are you going to get for doing those things? Not a mission statement, not a marketing page, but simply synthesizing down to its, its essence. Who do you serve? Back of the pack, slow runners, what are you going to do together? You're going to build training plans and you're going to start training for that first race so that we can be comfortable in our bodies no matter what our size or shape or level of fitness is and have incredible relationships in pursuit of the beauty of movement. So that's an example for a community that I love called the Slow AF Run Club. That's an example of a big purpose. And then you have to match that up with, okay, this is what we do. On this month's theme is your first 5K. We have a weekly calendar. And on Tuesday mornings at nine o'clock, we've got a live stream check-in. And on Thursday, we have a question of the week. And on Mondays, we have a gratitude practice. And that's it. That's what we do in this community. And then every once in a while, as marathon season's coming, we'll spin out and launch a new group or a new course or a new subscription training program for training for your first marathon. And it will cost money and we'll bring together those people that are at that point in time. And that's what we do here. And every member who signs up and joins us in the Slow AF Run Club, we make an agreement that if somebody reaches out to us, we'll respond. That's not hard. It's just being willing to say, this is what we do here. This is why we exist. There's so many lessons in this that I want to just pull out. So one of them is how do you kind of get focused on your purpose? And you you have that nice three-part, this is who it's for, this is the outcome or the ongoing outcome that you can expect. 
And this is how we do it together. What we're going to do to help you achieve that ongoing outcome or, or goal. That's super simple. And then you gave a great example of you don't have to do a thousand things. You don't have to have catalog of articles and 27 meetings a week and private coaching and three courses. You can just start with something really simple that's going to help them achieve whatever that ongoing goal is, whatever that mission is. And then you talked about the importance of culture online. And I totally agree with you that people don't really know how to establish culture. They they know it when they see it online. Like we're all parts of at least, you know, most of us, at least one community where we're like, it just feels good. Like I feel safe. I know what's going to happen. I know if I put a question up, somebody will respond. I know if I say something rude, someone will shut me down. Robbie, what you're describing is you understand the culture. Yeah, exactly. I understand the culture. And there's an onboarding process and there's an ongoing orchestration of that. It doesn't, I think a lot of organizations think, I'm just going to turn on that software that you talked about and I'm going to throw some people on it. And it's just going to, I'm not going to tell them what to do with it. I'm not going to tell them what their goals should be. I'm not going to tell them who should be here. We're just going to see what happens. Or another another thing I hear regularly is, I want my community to decide. I want to take their lead. No one has enough time in the day to take... Here's the way it really works with community. I think about it as the is to listen and adapt. You need to have a point of view. Like To run a community well, you have to start with a point of view. And you have to surprise and delight people with what those norms are, what that culture is. And we have so many ideas because we love this stuff and we're obsessed with it at Mighty. So if anybody wants to write me or like reach out, we have got all sorts of fun, interesting, cool ways of building culture in your community. But fundamentally, what you want to do is have a point of view and then listen for the reaction. Listen and adapt. You want to try new things, but it's a little bit... Have you ever gone out... This used to happen to me, certainly in high school, a lot, where it's like you'd go out with a group of friends and you'd basically be like, okay, well, where are we going to go for dinner? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And you know, an hour in, we're starving because nobody is making the decision about where we're going to go to dinner. Yeah. And it's such a relief when somebody says, Hey, I was thinking we could get burgers. Is that good? Right. And then you listen. And sometimes people are like, No, nobody wants burgers. We're right. all vegan. Exactly. Let's go get a salad. And you're like, Okay, great. Like, boom, right. boom. And so it is. And it's so valuable when somebody, you know, I think a lot of people are very reluctant to take a leadership position, to have a point of view. But really, in most cases, Everybody else is grateful and it's a good they starting are. point. And that's one of the reasons why we use the term host is not about, you know, I think the whole thing about expertise or building your personal brand or I have to be an influencer, it just puts too much pressure on people. Really, what you are doing with the community is you are playing the role of convener. You are hosting people coming together. And if you can shine a light on what makes them special and makes them a part of this community and what we can go do together. We talk about what you can go do together in a community is quests. And quests are really, we define them as four things. Online courses, because people want to be able to learn. They want to be able to go deeper. I think a lot of people are used to paying for online courses and they are incredibly valuable. The second kind of quest is a challenge. There are people that have built incredible businesses on challenges as a way to activate a community. Then there's experiences. What's an example of a challenge? 
A challenge might be a dry January is a challenge. Couch to 5K is a challenge where you get something at the end of it or you have done something for roughly 30 days. A great example is Yoga with Adrian, one of our communities, and she's got obviously a large YouTube following if you are familiar with her. And they do a 30-day yoga challenge every January. And that has brought together a community of over 223,000 members who are coming together in that challenge and then staying for that community design plan, those month, that big purpose, that year in the life. What is your community and members able to do a year from now that they're not able to do today, which is really the value and why people will pay to be a part of a community or join a community because of what they're able to learn. And then just to finish the community design plan, then you have a weekly calendar or monthly themes, a weekly calendar and daily questions or daily polls, which is really just a way of saying daily activity that your members ultimately take over. So you don't have to do anything every day in a community. And that works really, really well. Quests though, we have online courses, challenges, experiences, And I think about experiences as events surrounded in the warmth, in the warm embrace of a community. And then lastly, collabs or collaborations between members, because ultimately, if you can create collaborations, which might be a mastermind group, or it might be a small group that is playing out future scenarios like they do. And so collabs might be small groups, masterminds, certifications is another really interesting way of collaborating. Anything that really allows and enables your members to have a clear way of building things together with other members. What you just went through is very helpful, I think, for people who are trying to figure out what do I actually do with my community? How do I seed it? Let's talk about that because I think it's so important. So here is the thing. What do you do when you're like, okay, I'm ready to go? Like, what do I do first? The most important thing, 80% of the impact of your community is going to be your big purpose. Why are people coming together? Because if there is clarity around why they are coming together, they are going to be predisposed to contribute. Because you've been really clear right up front before they've ever joined with, as we do these things together, and I'll give you a couple examples, but as we do these things together, here is what you are going to get for it. So as they have motivation, which is very different than sort of learn, share, and grow together, that's generic at this point. Like no one knows what that means. It's a little bit like the word engagement. No one really knows what engagement means. Like it means so many different things to so many different people. It doesn't mean anything. So your big purpose, who are you bringing together? And the clearer you are on who you are bringing together, back of the pack runners, slow runners, or women who are navigating just having a baby and what they want to do in this new world, in this new chapter, by the way, do you start to see something that's really interesting about communities that, and the most motivated people, they tend to be in transitions. So the more that you can, especially for a membership business or a subscription business, the more that you can think about your ideal members or the people who need your community the most right now. And I think about it as like right now is in all caps, the more that you can focus in on someone's a transition in their lives, the more motivated somebody's going to be to show up. They're like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm in that transition. 
I would like to be a part of this community. So that might be high school seniors who are graduating and planning on taking a gap year or young professionals in their first year out of college in their first job. You just go down the list of people's transitions and there is a community that is demand for in each of those transitions. So the reason I'm spending time on this is because when you get this right, everything else gets easier. Yeah. A comment about um, transitions. I saw that Bruce Feiler was one of your, gave a blurb on the back of your book and he's a mutual friend and he wrote a book, Life is in the Transitions. And it's all about all the different types of trans. He's, he's done a tremendous amount of work breaking down what all those transitions are in someone's life. So if you're looking for a transition to try to inspire you to think about what is that moment, I think that's a good place to check out. We actually, and that is such a great book. He is fantastic. And we actually came up with and have a guide to creating your big purpose that if somebody just wants to send me an email, I'm happy to send it to them or follow me on LinkedIn and I'll send it to you. But basically those transitions. And then once you have that, the simplest thing that you can do, like you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. I can't possibly organize a community or host one. It's too much work. Maybe I'll do that in a few months. The easiest thing that you can do once you get the transition or get the big purpose right is just set up a weekly calendar, two days a week. And maybe it's just you know a six o'clock happy hour over a live stream, or maybe it is the question of the week. It does not need to be a lot if your big purpose is clear. So we've talked a lot about getting things started, right? The early part of building community, finding your purpose, establishing something, starting small. What happens if things go really well and it grows really fast and it's overwhelming? What do you do then? I know you alluded to the idea that if you build it right and you structure it right and you set up the right culture, it kind of takes care of itself. But how do you make sure that it's not going to get out of control? Well, so let's talk about that. So first and foremost, there are things that when you, again, have a really clear big purpose that you can break people off into these different quests it doesn't get out of control. Now, somebody who might have been in a spicy Facebook group might be saying to me, Gina, that's super naive. Haven't you ever been in a spicy Facebook group? And I would argue slash suggest that the spicy Facebook groups have much more to do with Facebook than they do with community. So I'll share an example. So coming back to Yoga with Adrian, so they had a 35,000 person Facebook group. And before they moved to Mighty. And they actually found that it was weird. It was weirdly spicy. So it was weirdly toxic. And people would show up and they would be talking politics and angry with other members over yoga. And they moved to Mighty in part because they were like, this is too much. This is hard to manage. Like, this is not fun. When they moved to Mighty, and they were able to build a new culture with new norms because they had community. They had the ability to have chat, but they also to have a feed. They were able to ask questions. They were able to organize by topics or hashtags. They were able to do events and live streaming and courses all in one place. What they found was that they could ask the same question in both places and get fundamentally different answers. Because of the culture. Uh-huh. And because of the infrastructure. Correct. Yeah. And you know, we do some things behind the scenes that you don't need to like know a ton about, like 
personalizing it to what you as a member are following or what you care about or the groups that you're a part of or the spaces that you're in. And so now, because of this focus on, again, designing and scaling culture, we as a platform are set up that you can have in, in entirely different kind of member profiles experiencing your community in very different ways by organizing them into these spaces or think about them as like rooms in a house and then decorating them with different features, kind of like different kinds of furniture in those rooms really effectively. So you can scale your community so much more effectively, so much more easily. So that's what we have found. And so the folks that are like, oh my gosh, it's too, you know, I'm going to have a problem because once this thing gets to a million members, it's going to fall apart. It won't. It's fine. I think the hardest thing and really the thing to pay attention to is it is so tempting to be general. It is so tempting to want to build a community for all humans of planet earth. It just is. And so especially if you have a framework or you have a methodology that you feel will help people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds and of all transitions and all hopes and dreams and fears and misconceptions, the the challenge is that that might be true, but if you don't draft behind the fact that your members want to meet other people like themselves, you're just making your life harder and it's unnecessary. Right. So ultimately it's about bringing people together under your umbrella, giving them a safe space where they know that everybody else there shares the same culture purpose and culture, both of those things, right? The purpose and the culture are both important. And then it makes it easy. Everything goes faster and grows more easily. So what do you do? You know, we've talked a lot this, you know, we're sort of going back and forth here between kind of the personal and the professional, right? So there's also some of these communities that you've talked about are are very personal, but you also have companies that you work with where there might be a community manager, right? Or you, you might have that title. That's what you got hired to do. And then maybe you're called a host and that helps you reframe what your role is. But how do you balance that and sort of find the purpose of your organization when you're working for a product company or what have you? It's a great question. So, you know, with over 8,000 people who have been through the Community Design Masterclass, we have a fair number of people who are working for brands and working for nonprofit organizations and companies. And the thing that I would say, and, and some of the brands that we work with are TED and Fortune and Sports Illustrated and Mind Body. So we're not just a platform for individuals to become hosts of communities or horses. And for a community manager, and I, again, I think this evolution from this idea of managing a community to designing the culture of a community is a really important shift. Because when you design the culture of a community, you are setting it up to run itself. And you are setting it up to get value, to attract your members and for them to get value in a way that is, it's just an incredible, it's one of these things that when I talk to folks that have been running communities and scaling communities, it's like, I don't exactly know what it is that is so special about it, but it is so special. And I think what it is, is watching people unlock results and transformation in their lives that they cannot otherwise get outside of the structure of a community. 
And so for a community manager or designer, what is your connection to the brand? You have to care. I don't think it can be, I don't think that it can be a job that you kind of mail it in. And if anything, the essence of a community, there's always something interesting. So if you just even take, oh, well, I'm going to create a customer community for our enterprise software. Well, those people that you may think of as sort of nameless, faceless pocketbooks, they're human beings. They have love. They have interests. They have desires to connect with other people. They want to solve the puzzles and the riddles of how to make the most out of what you offer. They want the results and transformation in their lives that they can't get on their own. They want to understand alongside other people who are like them on the same path, what is happening in the world, this world of rapid change. The world, anytime we think that it's going to slow down and we can just catch our breath, something else shows up that is fundamentally different and creates a different world than we even had months ago. And we are now in our third and fourth iteration of this, just even in the last three years. And so as we look at that, the only way to navigate rapid change and new challenges and in many cases, ordeals and difficulties is through the power of community. So even that enterprise software developer community should have a culture and an impact on people's lives that take advantage of the fact that a community is the single most effective way to navigate rapid change. A community is the single most effective way to build new practices and change habits. And a community is the single most effective way to innovate and really create change in people's lives. It's interesting the point about the enterprise software manager kind of role or, you know, database manager, things like that, which seem very, like you said, a human pocketbook or a human machine. They want to do good work. They want to be recognized for that work. They want to be recognized for the contribution they're making to the bigger team. And I think in some cases, those groups are even more valuable than some of the ones that feel more mission-based because nobody else is investing in them. I almost feel like the places where you might feel the most alone are the places that are most ripe for community. So super interesting. I could talk to you all day and would love to have an all day to talk to you. But I know you have a million more meetings for the rest of the day. I'm wondering if I can close out with a speed round. Sure. This last time. And, I love uh, speed rounds. It was so fun. Okay. First community you were ever a part of? My church. Most meaningful community you're part of today? It's really a group of three friends and their husbands that we refer to ourselves as the gems of the Danube because we took a trip there. Oh, I love that. And what's important about that group? What is the purpose? This group we are going through life together. High highs, low lows, and they are the group of people that I can be the most honest with. And they can be the most honest with us as well. I love it. That might be another book. I would call it Gems of the Danube, 2019. I love it. Sign me up. I want an early edition. Okay. Besides yours, one book you'd recommend to this audience of subscription professionals thinking about community? I loved the book, Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman. Great book. Good one. And then finally, best advice for an entrepreneur writing a book? Find a friend. 
who can basically ask you the question, what are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) This is less of a speed round, but I will say that ghostwriter you think exists doesn't, and you are much better off not trying to outsource to a ghostwriter a book. If you feel the calling to write a book, you are much better off carving out the time and having a friend or an editor or somebody essentially play the role of editor to, when you get stuck, unstick you. That is more important than trying to find a ghostwriter. Because the problem with the ghostwriter is that they have to live in your brain as an expert and they can't become an expert fast enough. So then you're like, oh, if I really actually want to do this fast because I've got a day job, it's actually faster for me to just write it myself. At which point you have to ask yourself the question, what if I get stuck? And getting unstuck, I think is the hardest thing. It takes a village. It takes a village and you have to do it yourself. You have to be the leader of the village. Mm -hmm. It's not writing your best ideas is not something that somebody else can do for you. That's so true. And it's, I wish somebody told me that when I started writing my first book. It's great advice. Thank you for joining us, Gina, and for coming back a second time. I think you know your first episode with Subscription Stories, most popular episode of all time. Your content is great and your generosity is unsurpassed in terms of your profound desire to help individuals find their purpose and share it, make the world a better place. So thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye. That was returning guest Gina Bianchini, founder and CEO of Mighty Networks and author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Purpose. For more about Gina and her new bestseller, Purpose, go to www.purpose.co. For more about Mighty Networks, go to www.mightynetworks.com. And for more about subscription stories, as well as the transcript of my conversation with Gina, go to RobbieKelmanBaxter.com slash podcast. Also, if you like what you heard, please go over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes and leave a review. Mention Gina and this episode if you especially enjoyed it. Reviews are how listeners find our podcast and we appreciate each one. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening to Subscription Stories.